We all have a story to tell. The longer our lives, the richer our stories. When I look at you, I see a woman of strength, integrity, character. A woman who has seen hardships, struggles, pain, and loss. A woman who has compassion, love, courage, and power. A woman who has succeeded, failed, and learned. A woman who will continue to persevere and thrive. When I look at you, I see a woman who is wise, not withered. All right, so let's get straight into it. Uh, so how old are you? I'm 57 and a little bit. All right, so what was or is your relationship with your mother like? I adore my mom. And as far as I know, I always have and all my friends always have. <laughs> so yeah, until, until recently, she's probably been my primary confidant, you know, like my sounding board on anything personal, anything in my business, whatever. Um, she's 87 now and tends to repeat her own stories rather than listening to mine. And that's a huge loss for me. I mean, that, she was my person. Hmm. What, what happened? Oh, she's just, just starting to, to yeah. fade a little bit. Um, she's still real active and has her own business and volunteers and goes out to her beating clubs. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's just, there's just a little bit less of her present for me. Oh, okay. Um, so what kind of person is she? Or maybe was? <laughs> she's, she's very open-minded and curious. Um, there's, there's kind of a, an inviting innocence. Like, whatever's there, what is it? I want to find out. Um, a curiosity, and, and she likes to explore but she's also extremely humble self-deprecating was kind of the generational thing so so yeah she she'll say she's not creative and then she makes all kinds of things beadwork and sewing and knitting and she'll say she's not that smart but she runs her own business still at 87. Oh wow is yeah. it beading business? No it's bookkeeping. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in what ways are you similar to her? Um, <clears throat> I think that I'm also very open-minded, tolerant. I like to hear different people's perspectives without necessarily feeling like in order to validate them, I have to take them on, right? So it's just like, I'm curious, how does that work? How does it fit together for you? Mm -hmm. And I've, I'm very, very creative. I think she and I shared that hugely. Um, and I love to go explore and travel, just find out new things, curious. Yeah, that's great. And what ways are you different from her? Well, a lot has just been life experience because you know, the expectation for me has always been that I would have a job. I'd be in the workforce, whereas she was primarily a stay-at-home mom mm -hmm. until I was in high school. Um, so I think that's different. And I think the other thing that's different is... Um, I was raised to believe in myself, so a lot of empowerment and confidence. Yeah. So uh, I I don't have that self-deprecating piece. <laughs> <laughs> that's 
that's probably a good one to (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay so where did you grow up and what places have you lived throughout your life oh my goodness I grew up primarily in Michigan okay so midwestern culture um I was born there and then the family moved down to North Carolina so I learned to talk with a drawl and when we would go back to Michigan to Detroit to find our family and have reunions, they would just try to get me to talk so that they could hear it. (laughs) So, so that was fun. And shortly after I started elementary school, we moved back to Michigan. And then right at the end of high school, last two years of high school, moved out to the California coast. So I finished school in Monterey and then went back to Michigan to university. Mm-hmm. worked in Silicon Valley and then pretty much have landed in Colorado for most of my adult life. Um, and was it mostly traveling, moving around just for work or family? No, no. My family moved about every two years just because they like to. Oh, okay. They're so- big risk takers. My dad um, sold the house, bought one in California and then asked for a company transfer. So, and I've continued that on. I've done, a lot of travel as an adult. Uh, I've been on five of the six continents I care about. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. That's great. Um, So are you currently employed? I'm self-employed. Okay. Yeah. What what exactly is your, what's your job? I would call it someplace between a coach and a consultant. Mm -hmm. So I help online business owners who are service providers like coaches and web developers and very creative people mm-hmm. who are great at doing the thing that they do, but hate the technology side of it. Oh, okay. So I come in and try to support them with just enough structure to keep their flow moving forward. So they don't kind of just go all over the place. Right. Yeah. yeah. How did you get into that? I trained as a coach in the late 2000s and then I had a motorcycle accident and a little bit of a head injury and I couldn't remember anything so I started using computer tools to do everything for me and as I started to heal I realized you know there are a lot of heart-based people who could really benefit from using the computer a lot I can serve the people who aren't like me and they can go out and love on lots of people interesting Um, So what was the first job that you ever had? My first job, well, beyond babysitting. In high school, I worked at a little retail shop. They sold like knickknacks, and then they had a section on doing needlepoint. So the yarn and creativity and color was the thing that got me into it. Okay. And how about since then? What jobs have you had? Oh, um, well, after college, I went to work for Hewlett Packard in quality assurance, software QA, and then went from that into management. And when I realized that I did not want my boss's job, (laughs) I realized that it was probably time to leave. So I left that in 1991. And I've been doing a variety of my own thing ever since. Cool. So um, talk about the romantic relationships you've had throughout your life? What kinds of people have you loved and what did you learn from each of them? Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have much in the way of romance in high school. I was way too interested in the scholastics and probably a little scary. There was a guy that I met in college 
you know, it was something like in the dorm. All of my relationships have been because we've been in the same environment. <laughs> it's never been like going out beyond and, and being found. Yeah. Um, and I would say that they've all been very smart people um, who could could match me on conversation and also had the capacity for the breadth of things that fascinate me. I, I really like a lot of different stuff and tend to pull in different pieces in a conversation. So you got to be able to keep up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably the, the primary common thread. The first guy in, in college also happened to be a dungeon master. So I learned about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and then I um, dated a guy as I was moving into Colorado who was a Porsche racing instructor. So I got a Porsche and learned to race, oh. right? So there's been like this thing of, wow, that's a cool thing. I want to do that too. Mm-hmm. Um, traveling, a lot of travel together. Yeah, yeah. Okay, are you married now or? No, I'm divorced. Okay. So I was married for 19 years. Love the guy that I married. Love that he was the father of my children. And as we grew both of us into different people, I love that we got divorced amicably and, uh, you know, still live nearby and the kids go back and forth. They're adults now. So, yeah, that sounds pretty peaceful. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Well, it helped that we met as adults, Mm. right? We were both in our, um, I think I was 28 and he was like 33. And we were at Hewlett Packard and we'd already had all the corporate communication training. (laughs) So, so we were pretty open and able to be clear right from the start. And I think that really helped. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, like there's a lot of just figuring things out at the beginning and that, that would be very helpful. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, let's see. So what's one item that you spent a small amount of money on, but has a lot of personal value? And then two, an item you spent a lot of money on that didn't have as much value. Overall. Now, this one I actually thought about. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, the first thing that came up when you said uh, small monetary value was I have always loved beach combing going and finding shells on the beach. Oh, oh, okay. like, and what, what I noticed as I was reflecting was when I was younger, I was looking for perfect specimens, mm. right? If they were broken, forget it. I was only looking for the perfect ones, the brightest colors, the, you know, all the edges clean and everything. Yeah. And I still have quite a collection of those. They've, they've traveled with me everywhere. Um, and as I got older, um, I would say after kids, the ones that were more interesting were the ones that I picked up and kept. Mm. If they were, if they were just perfect ones, it was kind of cliche and I would leave that for the little kids to find. Yeah. But if it was broken and you could see inside of it and you could see how it grew into the way that it was or how it was inhabited, then it was interesting because I could, I could pick up more story around it. Right. Yeah. So that was kind of an interesting reflection. And then the other one, the expensive thing, one of the businesses that I did shortly after leaving corporate was a network marketing business. And um, part of the 
culture was, well, if you want to be a leader, you have to demonstrate that this works. So fake it till you make it. Mm. And so I sold my race car and went ahead and got a Lexus sedan, which I thought I would probably need someday anyway, because there would be kids someday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, it was the most boring thing. I mean, the Lexus was high-end, expensive car, yeah. and there was no torque. There was nothing. You couldn't make it slide around the corners. Like, <laughs> it wasn't that much fun to drive. And I realized eventually that I had given up my authentic experience to try to project this image hmm. so that other people would like the image, but that didn't mean they liked me. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty contorted. I'm, I'm glad I got that one out of the way. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Sounds like a lesson that a lot of people never learn. <laughs> so um, name two or three mentors that you've had over your lifetime, excluding parents or other family members. How did you meet and what did you learn from each person? You know, the, the ones that come to mind are like university professors. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one guy who was part of the great books program and he thought his alter ego was Charles Dickens. So sometimes you would see him walking around campus with a cane and a top hat. Um, <laughs> and he looked like Gene Wilder and he was just so creative and so enthusiastic about the things that he taught uh, I really appreciated that. And um, yeah, so that was that was kind of a, a mentor in that way. I can't say that I really had any other specific mentors. You know, I've had spiritual teachers that have kind of taken me forward on the path and then I've gone a different way. Yeah, so it hasn't been real consistent after college. And you had to be like your own mentor. <laughs> Right. Well, especially with having my own business. I mean, when I started my first business, you didn't want to look like you were having a home business. Mm. So you would put your street address and then you would put suite 101. So, but there weren't a lot of people doing home business at that time. So there really weren't mentors for it. Um, I ended up being the mentor more often. Mm. Oh, interesting. And when did you start? that was that 1991 1990 actually I, I had it started before they even offered the, the severance package yeah interesting because I I feel like having your own business nowadays with just like like you said you know there's there's more resources now but back then wow that's that's really interesting yeah. okay um so getting a, a little heavier what was your first experience with um grief Um, the first one that comes up was my Nana dying. And that would have been when I was 11. And part of why it comes up, obviously it was a big deal, but right in that same period, the pet cat and the pet dog also died. Oh yeah. And little me got this thing like, I better not love anything because if I really love it, it's going to die. It's all my fault. Oh, no. Yeah. So it was it was kind of a a really intense. um, I don't know, just a constellation of things that happened all at once. Um, And and it was it was hard. 
was it mostly internal? Did you talk with family much? I don't remember talking about it. I don't, I don't remember being shut down either. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah. it's like, I remember my mom having her grief over losing her mom. Right. Um, and that was fine and, and okay. And yeah, huh. I, I remember I, I journaled in my little 11 year old three word sentences, yeah. you know, and, and lots of punctuation marks. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, I don't, don't remember any particular external referencing around it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so what was one of the biggest challenges that you've overcome either a specific situation or simply over the course of you know, many years? I think that for me, the challenge has been as a smart girl, um, I was seen as a unicorn, even in elementary school. And it was, I was always encouraged to be more smart <laughs> and, you know, wow, you're, you're amazing and you can do anything and just stay focused on your academics, which was kind of taking the part that was really strong and making it stronger mm -hmm. as opposed to my heart connection and my relationships, because when one is encouraged to be teacher's pet. One is not, you know, very popular with the peer set. Right. And so I think that a lot of my peer interactions at that age really got caught up in competition and humiliation. Hmm. Um, if I got a spelling word wrong, the laughter was endless because they could finally, you know, poke a chink in the armor. Yeah. Um, and I think that carried on in that I became very uh, defended and I, I would use arrogance. Like you, you can't even get close to me, so don't bother. And that way I'll never get hurt. Mm -hmm. um, so when I left corporate and went out into the real world, I didn't know how to start to engage, to make friends, to really create connections. Yeah. Because my history was, well, people only interact with me because they have to. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't do it by choice, but they, they need something from me. Um, and so for me, the overcoming of that through, you know, starting with the overflowing love for babies, my babies, um, and then starting to meet other moms where there was no expectation, right? They're not there to do business. They don't need something from me. It was just companionship. Yeah. And um, I would say really coming to a head even in the last five years of learning what it means to belong in a circle of women hmm. yeah. without feeling like, well, I can't be here unless I have something that I can give to you guys because otherwise you wouldn't know I'm here. Wow. Right. So, um, so yeah, that, that resting in a heart connection and having that be enoughness mm -hmm. has been a huge challenge because of the way I am and the way society valued it. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I need to just let that sink in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so you mentioned you have children. Um, what things do you feel you've been able to accomplish because of them? 
well, partly meeting meeting other people beyond work. Right, right. Um, and growing in terms of my my capacity for um, living with differences. Right. I my my eyes don't work real well, and so for me, visual clutter is almost a danger. Right. I can't sift through it fast enough to know what to pay attention to. Yeah. Well, kids leave a lot of clutter. <laughs> so there's been a lot of expanding my comfort. I, I'm okay. There's stuff all over. I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't put that away. I'm okay. And then I can make a choice. Like, do I want to go put it away or do I want to get them to do it or whatever? Mm. Um, but that expansion of my, uh, Michelle, it feels like, has been partly because of kids. Right. And it was really interesting. My older son had a really tight group of friends in high school um, through a spiritual community. And I would go as chaperone on their rallies. Mm-hmm. And they accepted me. Right? So here I am, 30 years older, and I'm finally feeling accepted in high school circles. And so I decided I'm just going to rewrite my high school script. And this script of acceptance is now mine. I like that. And so it was really a beautiful thing to be able to say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm acceptable in high school circles. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, whenever (laughs) it takes. (laughs) Right. Right. And, and it's still, I feel like a lot of those kids they friended me on Facebook and we still interact, you know, five, six years later. Yes. So, um, so it wasn't just because I was a sponsor in the room. It was, it was real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Tying back to that connection, like a heart connection. Right. Yeah, interesting. Um, let's see, what would you consider your greatest success in life so far? You've mentioned lots of things you've overcome, but. Oh, certainly the, the, the men my boys have become, mm-hmm. right? I, I'm, I'm so proud of how they found their own self, right? It's not like they're just like me and it's not like they're just in rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to watch my older son in that, in that circle, their primary mentor at church died mm. pretty quickly of a brain tumor. And as the the group sat together, I got to watch him sit there and hold one of the girls as she was crying on his shoulder and his own tears were there. And he never said, don't cry. He never said, they're there, it's all right. He was perfectly at ease being in her emotion. Mm. And I was like, yes. Yeah. So that was, that was just a wonderful thing. So as I see them go out and be full humans Mm -hmm. in the community, I I feel like that's, uh, that's a huge win for the world. Right. Yeah. Great. (laughs) Was there a defining moment in your life when you felt you became an adult? I think I was born an adult. (laughs) You know, I, I feel like a lot of my childhood, I was already being the adult. But the moment that pops into my mind is after college, moved out to Silicon Valley, had my job, and um, my car got wrecked, and I needed a car, 
And the first one had been my parents' car that they sold to me for like, you know, a hundred bucks or something. Mm-hmm. And I needed a car and I went into the car dealership and found what I, you know, what I wanted. It wasn't crazy or anything. Um, and they let me drive it off the lot with just a signature because of where I worked. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was like, I, I, I can do that. Like this is a $10,000 car and they're just gonna let me drive away with it. <laughs> wow. So, so that was a moment of like the adult world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a competency, like, damn, oh, I got this. <laughs> and you mentioned you drive a motorcycle. Um, when, when did that start? <sighs> that was my present to myself for my 50th birthday. Oh, okay. And I went out and took the training, and the first bike I sell, got myself was a red crotch rocket. Okay. And I rode that one for a year, and then I got um, an adventure bike. So it's good on the freeway, but it also can go off-road and camping. So that was that was the one. And um, I put 10,000 miles a year on it for the first four years. Okay. So I was doing a lot of touring. Yeah. And what what was the inspiration behind getting a motorcycle? Um, there, were, there were a couple of little things. Like I rode on the back of somebody's bike, and I couldn't see, and I couldn't be in control, and they didn't know what was going on. I was like, I will never do this again. This is scary. <laughs> and then I took my younger son to finish off his scuba certification. And on a day off, I wanted to rent a scooter and just go around the island. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't rent to me because I didn't have motorcycle certification. I was like, oh, um, that will never happen again. <laughs> so I got it. And, and what I discovered was I could have all of the acceleration and the in-body experience of having my car on the racetrack without having to wait for a, a race day. Oh. I could go out any day and ride the motorcycle and it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, let's see. So in what ways do you believe you had the most impact on other people? I think that there's something about having had my own business and done well with it early that Then as I mentored other people who were just starting their own businesses, I got to be a model of you can do really well and not be a greedy bitch, (laughs) right? Because so many people have this idea of, well, millionaires are greedy, arrogant, they exploit people, da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. And my point in one of my conversations with, with a gal was, no, what it really means is there's an extra zero on my charity check, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It doesn't, it doesn't change who I am. It just makes me more of who I am. Yeah. And I think that ability to stand in that and just, just show it, not even so much have to talk about it, let people know, like, it's okay to be successful with your own business. Yeah. It's, it's safe. It's not going to make you mean. Mm-hmm. Okay, the last question. What piece of advice would you share with younger women that you wish you had known when you were younger? It's your own life. You can't get it wrong. Mm -hmm. You can't get it wrong. You're not doing it wrong. You're not in the wrong place. You're not too far behind. You can't get it wrong. And you continue to change. The world continues to change. You'll never get it right forever. It's not, you don't have to find the forever answer. 
So if you can't get it wrong and you can't get it right, you may as well just get started. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and just hold it lightly. Oh, I love that. Can't get it wrong, can't get it right, just get started. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> awesome. Well, <clears throat> yeah. all the questions I have, do you have anything you want to add? You know, now I'm thinking about you know, friends I have that are still doing river rafting and um, I have a friend who's a guide in Zion National Park and okay. she takes people on wilderness retreats. I mean, there's so much out there that in some ways women are more engaged. I wouldn't say more active. It's like, you know, we're not out doing rock climbing, right. but um, less in the kitchen. Okay. <laughs> I, I appreciate what you're doing, you know, because obviously there's more and more aging women. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there will continue to be. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe this group of aging women can set it up so that we have good role models. So when all the millennials become aging women, because there's even more of them. <laughs> yes. It'll all be set up and not a big deal. Yes. I hope so. I, I really hope so. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Why Is Not Withered podcast. If you found this episode particularly interesting or inspiring, please share, rate, and subscribe. Check out whyisnotwithered.com for interview transcriptions and more. Join the Why Is Not Withered movement by sharing your own story or by interviewing a wise woman in your life and sharing through your favorite social media platform. Use the hashtag Why Is Not Withered. Thanks again.